the fact that Spike Lee was anchoring his film around this song was a big deal. And I think it, it went a long way to legitimizing hip hop as art. Close Watch, Episode 7. Rob here. Find more episodes of this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcatchers, as well as crickettable.com. If you can give us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, it really helps spread the word about the show. On this episode, David Snyder joins me to talk about Spike Lee's 1989 film, Do the Right Thing, which, spoilers for the episode, was one of my most egregious blind spots until I did this episode. Obviously, I knew it's Spike Lee's, uh, suppose, you know, according to a lot of people, his masterpiece. Uh, I knew about some of the subject matter of the film, and I think that kind of, it was one of those movies that I knew I needed to get to, but it never quite found the occasion to do so. Having David on to talk about this film was a really uh, stimulating, a really exciting conversation for a very important movie in a lot of ways just as relevant today as it is as it was when it came out, which we talk about. But let's listen to a little bit of the trailer and then jump right into our conversation with David Snyder on Do the Right Thing. Universal Pictures presents a new film from Spike Lee. Good morning, Miss Mother's sister. Now, Mookie, don't work too hard today. The man says it's going to be hot as the devil. I've been here 25 years. LaSalle's famous pizzeria is here to stay. Trust me. Mookie, the last time I trusted you, we ended up with a son. I know you can't stay. Hey, Sal, how am I getting the brothers on the wall here? You want brothers on the wall? Love. Get your own place. You can do what you want to do. What I tell you about that noise? What I tell you about them pictures? You folks and brother talk to him. You the man. No, you the man. No, you the man. No, you the man. The first time you turn your back, boom. Right here, man, in the back. Welcome to Close Watch, the show where we get to know our guests through the movies they love. This episode, I'm joined by David Snyder. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. Absolutely. So tell people a little bit about who you are, what you have going on, HWIC films, uh, and all of that. Yeah, so I'm a filmmaker. I've directed six or so micro-budget features over the last 11 years or so. And my company is my partner and I, and my, he's also my cousin, John Delcerone, Johnny Filmworks. And we started off making movies when we were kids with my two brothers, Phil and Jeff, and my parents bought a video camera in 1985. My dad was a golf pro and he wanted to get a video camera so that he could videotape the lessons he gave and then gave it to the, give it to the students. And he never ended up doing that. And my brothers <laughs> and I swiped the camera and started making our own little short films. And then we, we wrote my cousin John into it. And 20 some years later, he came to visit me one day and I said, you know what, we could... I think with the way that the, the cameras have changed, technology has advanced, because I was doing music videos at the time right. uh, for, for a lot of independent artists. And then also for my biggest client at the time, and still is, is the legendary rap music group Public Enemy. 
And so I, I, I said, I said, we've got the technology is enough right now that we could at least make straight to video features. And I said, I got an idea. And he said, yeah, let's do it. And so we started HWIC Filmworks. And in fact, Chuck D from Public Enemy has a very, very small role in, in, my, in our debut feature, which was called The Quiet Arrangement. And it was from back in 2009. And, and yeah, and so I just still do music videos on occasion, not as much as I used to. And we've been, we've been making films for a few years and some web series and and, and then I got into, I was into music to doing music production. And so currently I balance my time between HWIC Filmworks and I run Chuck's uh, record label, which is the Spit Slam record label group. And I'm also a music producer. So I'm the jack of all trades. I wear a lot of hats, do yeah, a bunch no, of different I, things. Absolutely. Wow. That's ex- what a resume. Well, thank you. I, I'm just kind of <laughs> going, I've been talking about this stuff lately. I, I just did like my first real magazine interview. Really? Um, okay. Where wow. I was, yeah. Where I was talking about some of this stuff earlier this year, it was a, it's a little UK publication called the B-Boy Document. And so they were doing a piece on the label. And so, yeah, I ended up talking about a bunch of this stuff. So yeah, there it is. When you say micro budget, what exactly does that entail? And is, is there a particular genre of film you focus on or is it just whatever comes whatever whatever strikes you i guess so so micro budget for us it started off like the quiet arrangement we we did nobody got paid and Mm -hmm. we did it on the weekends or whenever i could get the crew together and and shot it over a five month period whenever i could get people together and we made it for like nineteen hundred dollars i think it was so so there was that and then the budgets increased as we went just because we realized that that to do bigger things we would have to spend more money which was fine right and then we got in in 2013 we did a film called Swing Low Sweet Chariot which is an adaptation of a i guess you call it a street novel by an author in Cleveland her name is Stella Hall and it's so it's a I consider it a, a, an urban drama. Some people, a lot of people call it a hood movie. So that film really established us. And we've been not exactly in that lane, but we do, we do a lot of urban dramas slash action thing. Mm-hmm. We've done a few, we did a couple of, I don't want to say, yeah, I guess they're like romantic comedies, I guess for, for a minute there, we were thinking about pivoting. But then we did we did a web series called Heights Girl that we did. We put it out on YouTube and then we decided to have a premiere for the finale. And since it was a web series, the episodes were short. But when we put it all together for the finale presentation, it it ran about two hours. And so, yeah, when when Amazon uh, Prime started letting filmmakers upload directly without having to go through an aggregator, we said, okay, well, why don't we just, we'll put it up there. Why not? And we, I talked to John about it, my partner. And he said, I said, do, you, do we want to put it up as episodes or do we want to put it up as a movie? And he's like, yeah, just put it up as a movie. And so we, we put it up as a movie and it sat there for four or five months. And then all of a sudden, I don't know what happened. We still don't know to this day what exactly happened because we weren't promoting it, but it just blew up. 
and it, it became a thing and just started getting all these views. And so we're like, okay, well, this is the lane that we want to be in. What's in it's uh, right. predominantly black casts, urban, some action, a lot of drama, relationship stuff like that. That was where we were and uh, genre wise, I guess. And, and then most recently, our most recent feature was we did the sequel. We did Heights Girl 2 back in when well, we shot it late 2019 and it was supposed to premiere. We were going to have a big theatrical premiere up in Cleveland in 2020. And it was our premiere was literally the week that they locked everything down. So wow. so that never happened. But we just we again, we pivoted and said, well, let's just get it out. And so we went to we, we went to our distributor and said, well, let's let's get it up on these platforms and digitally and and put it out and and it did it did well for us so i'm curious with how much the the industry has shifted like lately you mentioned a lot of the movies you you make romance comedy drama like all the all the genres that the how the, the major studio system isn't really like it's all 200 million dollar movies or like five million dollar movies it's F9 or Zola or the Suicide Squad or like, you know what I mean? It's, it's like those kinds of, of contrast has that bifurcation of the industry, I guess, like the mid budget movies gotten pushed out. A lot of genres have gotten moved to streaming directly. If you see a rom-com now, it's usually a a Netflix original and, or like your, as your film is on prime. Has that really changed anything on your end or since you're working on such a different level where with more focused on micro budgeted films and things like that, is it, have you remained unscathed a lot from, from the way yeah, the industry's changed? We're, so we're constantly ref, trying to refine and target our audience because right. we discovered that there are certain films out there that resonate with these audiences and they deliver what the audience wants to see and they do very well. And I I know that it's, (laughs) it's funny because when we started uh, the quiet arrangement, our first feature was a kidnapping thriller that I had Mm. an idea for. And it's, it's told, it plays with time a bit, the way that the story is told. So we had no, it was purely an artistic thing at that point. It was like, well, let's, we can make this and it, it's a thriller and it will put it out to DVD or whatever. And, and maybe, maybe it'll make some noise. But now my cousin, John has, has really over the past 10, 11 years has really figured, trying to figure out all the time what the audience wants to see mm-hmm. and how can we, what, what worked in these films and what doesn't work and and we try to go towards what works obviously and and so no it hasn't really affected us because with all the streaming options out there if you can figure out your niche and work towards that you're gonna win somehow at least a little bit and and in these little steps, the little steps that we've made, we're, we're doing well. I, I can't complain. We're, we're not quite living off of it yet, but I can see that it's possible. Like, there's, there's definitely light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's, yeah. Cause I, I see on the, the, I guess, DVD cover for swing low sweet chariot has boys in the hood and men, menace to society, both mentioned in the pull quote. And you know, to your point, yeah. 
hood dramas, which I feel like is, a, and we'll get into it probably in a little bit, but it feels like a genre that was really popularized by obviously Boys in the Hood. And then before that, Do the Right Thing. Right. really push that into the mainstream where you had dead presidents and all these sugar hill and like all this New stuff Jack like in the 90s New Jack city was a big one new too. jack city yeah, yeah exactly all that yeah. and like the 90s those were really prevalent and 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 by the major studios we were cashing in on it so it's like yeah it's sure. it's definitely it's it's good that it's smart that you're focusing on that niche because it's definitely a market that's not really being served very much in on a larger scale i guess yeah, oh, we totally feel that way. We we feel that that even even all those films that you mentioned did very well. Yeah, and even even after that, black filmmakers, black actors continually were getting marginalized, and it was just it it didn't make a whole lot of sense. The reasons they were getting oh, it won't perform well overseas, and then and then films would come out that would totally shatter that myth. But mm-hmm. but we could get into we could get into deeper conversations of 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 why that might be racism. Who knows? It's it's all speculation at this point. But we always felt that if we can make films where we we care about the characters and we can give talented actors, especially black actors, actresses and people of color a platform and and make a film that's compelling and interesting then why wouldn't we do that you know and and we're we're <laughs> we're white kids that grew up in hip hop's golden age and so that had a very big effect on us as as to who we are now and 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 where where we came from that the mindset anyway so right. so there's that too so we it's not we don't feel like we don't feel like outsiders per se even though we're obviously not black but but we do feel like we can collaborate and tell these stories and and people respond well to them so right so right. that's the plus there yeah absolutely so so getting to the film at hand when we when I pitched the two shows that I have this close watch and the sister show franchise detours, you immediately for this one suggested do the right thing. You you already mentioned Public Enemy, who essentially performed the the I would say the anthem behind this entire yes. film. It opens the film. I think you hear it a couple of times throughout. I, I'm, I don't remember. I think it plays during the credits as well. It really bookends the whole thing. So I guess why did you want to discuss do the right thing specifically? In addition to to the public enemy connection. So Do the Right Thing is a very important film to me personally because I have a I have a um a holy trinity of filmmakers, my personal filmmakers. And mm-hmm. they are the they're the the filmmakers that I watched their films at a point in time when I was dis- discovering what it meant to be go from making movies with my brothers, like little kid movies where we were just turn the camera on and goof off to actually making a film. And my Holy Trinity of filmmakers are Stanley Kubrick, Martin Scorsese and Spike Lee. And I saw do the right thing. I, I, I saw the trailer first and I don't even remember what movie we went to see. 
what it was, but I, I, the trailer was burned into my brain when I saw it. I thought, and I thought to myself, holy hell, what is this? This is amazing. And I have to see this. <laughs> and I, but I didn't get to see it during its theatrical run. I, I ended up seeing it when it first came out, came out on home video on VHS for anyone who remembers that. And, right. and I looked this up and this sounds about right. Uh, I, I did a search to see if I could find it. And there was a website that said that the, the VHS release of Do the Right Thing was January 11th, 1990. And that, that was the day after my 16th birthday. And that sounds right to me because I think that's like, like I, it was my birthday present to myself. I went yeah. out and rented it and, and, and watched it. And, and, and at that point in time in my life, I was fully immersed into rap music. I, I grew up listening to a lot of different things. My father had a lot of different records, rock records, jazz records, soul records. And so we were exposed to a lot of different music growing up. And I was never really a musician technically, but I listened to music a lot. And at the in the mid 80s my parents started listening to we, we were living in pittsburgh and pittsburgh had a legendary r&b soul station is wamo and and my parents started listening listening to whammo and so we call it a lot and so that's what we were always listening to so a lot of 80s r&b and they'd play some classic r&b and stuff and then when rap came trickled its way out of new york city and started to make waves i got a hold of an ll cool j tape and it like really changed my life forever i was just like this is this is it this is this is what i want to hear all the time and Mm -hmm. so i was fully immersed in that and at the same time i was watching just as many movies as i possibly could and so i would my parents had hbo and cinemax and right. I was immersing myself in, in movies. And so I would see that something would be on at night and I would set the timer, record a movie. And then when I get home from school the next day, I'd watch the film. And right. I, was, I saw Full Metal Jacket and then I saw A Clockwork Orange. And that was, that's what Kubrick set me on my path. I was like, oh, now I get it. So the, the thing about it was, I was watching films all the time and I was listening to rap music, but for whatever reason in my mind, I, I separated the two things. They didn't, right. they didn't seem to have a place together, even though Friday nights I'm in front of the TV watching Yo MTV raps and loving every minute of that. But I just never thought, Oh, there's, well, there's no, there's no real place up until that point you had break in and beach street and those were older school films and it was, and they were like, eh, so niched down that it was right. like, yeah, okay. That's like, it's everybody knows electric boogaloo is like the yeah, exactly. an infamous right. sequel title, but that's most, most right. of what people remember about him. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So they're like, unless you're, unless you're a super head, they're right. silly. They're like, okay, yeah. I hadn't seen, I didn't see, I hadn't seen wild style yet. I hadn't, I hadn't got into that. So anyway, that's, I couldn't reconcile the two art forms in my head together. And then I saw the trailer for Do the Right Thing. And then I, was, I remember 
very clearly as a big public enemy fan at the time sitting in the sitting in my mom's car and we were stopped at an ice cream stand or something and she was getting milkshakes and I'm sitting in the, in the car listening to the radio and the and the DJ said hey we got the new single from public enemy coming up called fight the power it's from Spike Lee's new movie do the right thing and of course I immediately perk up and I'm like what and then they played the song and I was like, Oh my God, this is amazing. Was, I'm excited because it's new PE, but then I'm like, wow, it's in the film. That's cool. Yeah. What oh. movie is this? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And so uh, again, I, I missed it theatrically, but when it came out on video, I was, I was so excited to see it. I rented it. I brought it home and I put it on. And as soon as, yeah, like you said, it opens the film to that amazing opening credit sequence with Rosie Perez dancing to fight the power. And then, then it, it all clicked for me. It was like, Oh, okay. So these two things can exist and, mm -hmm. and work together and, and it can be taken seriously because the other thing you got to remember at this time was rap music on a outside of New York and LA was considered a fad they kept people kept saying this is not gonna last it's it's like disco it'll be here today and gone tomorrow and nobody's gonna remember it and it'll be derided and this that and the other thing so the 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 fact that spike lee was anchoring his film around this song was a big deal and i th and i think it it went to it went a long way to legitimizing hip-hop as art and that it can be used more than just in terms of records or singles or 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 whatever else right so. i think at this it wasn't this around the time too that when you heard about hip-hop in the news it was mostly about how offensive it is and like all the yeah. like, people like freaking out about nwa and and all of that stuff i think that was pretty much what it was known for mostly like in middle america and things like that uh, Oh yeah, definitely. It was all, it was all, this is, this is trash. This is awful. You just got to brainwash your kids. I remember, right. I remember there was a, was it, was it a newspaper? I'm trying to remember if it was a, I think it was a newspaper article and it was ice cubes, ice cubes, America's most wanted to just come out and right. they ran this big thing. This is 1990. So they ran this big article and, and they mentioned ice cube and they mentioned public enemy and, I'm trying to think who else, NWA, who else was notorious at the time. And my dad came home and I guess he read the article and he's like, David, do you listen to this crap? And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, what, what is this? <laughs> my dad, my, my dad was, my dad was pretty cool, but like, he just didn't, he didn't, it, he didn't get that. He didn't get right. hip hop at all at that point in time. He still doesn't like it, but he knows I work within it. So he, he gives me, <laughs> he gives me a pass now. But, and, and then he's, and then he turns to my mom, Suzanne, have you heard any of this? And, and he's like, do you have this tape? And he's pointed to ice cube. And I'm like, yeah. And <laughs> he's like, Suzanne, have you heard this? And she goes, no, but I'll listen to it. And my mom was pretty cool uh, about that stuff. She, she actually took me to a few rap shows. Nice. Yeah. Um, yeah cool mom. At the, at the, yeah. Very cool mom. And, and she's like, I like heavy D he's, he's a great performer. I'm like, <laughs> okay, mom, that's cool. I like heavy D too. So so I brought my Walkman down and I gave her the, the cassette single for America's Most Wanted. And she sat there and she listened to it. And I'm looking and I'm waiting. And then when she turned it off, she's like, yeah, it's nothing he hasn't heard before. And, and <laughs> like, oh, OK. And, and I was like, oh, whew. 
dodged a bullet or whatever but yeah but yeah that's 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 how it was seen it was just at the time it was this uh, a, a cultural thing that middle America, white middle America did not understand. It did not mm-hmm. want to understand. They just didn't want to have anything to do with it. And their kids though, it was making their way, it was making their way into the suburbs. And, uh, and, and at the time it was still very rare. I was the only white kid in my high school listening to rap music oh, at wow. that point in time. Yeah. There, there's no, nobody else. I got a couple of friends into it. Uh-huh. And they really, they like two live crew because of the shit they were saying and stuff like right. that. But, but yeah, I was, I was the only one at 88 to 90. Yeah. 88 to 90 or so, you know. Meanwhile, you fast forward a few years, Tupac and Notorious B.I.G. And every, by the time I, I'm, I was in high school in the late nineties and it was like everywhere, yep. like it had blown everywhere, up completely right. by then. It was looking at the charts now. It's like the predominant genre of music still like 20 something yes. years later. And I think yep. what's interesting about Do the Right Thing and this to be to be perfectly uh, frank, this was a, a first time watch for me. It's a movie I'd be meaning to watch forever. Ah, but I was always like, oh, I don't know. That seems really heavy. The news is already stressful with all of this stuff. And so I, I, I basically put it off and like, I got to watch that. I got to freaking watch. And then when you picked this, right. I was like, yes, that's let's do it. It's because it, it gives me a reason to prioritize this movie that seems right. rich and, and t- intense. And it was, yes. as, as, I, as we'll get to. But what struck, struck me about it, and it's perfectly dovetails off of what you were saying, is that it feels like a movie adaptation of a rap song. Like it's, you take the stories of you, like, it's almost, they could, he yeah. could have called the movie fight the power or, right. or whatever. And it would have felt perfectly in sync with not only the themes, the storytelling, the, even the, the tonal balance where there's comedic moments and then there's really emotional moments. Uh, right. So I think that's to your point, it feels like the first time that Hollywood was actually being like, what if we not, not just plug a few hip hop songs onto the soundtrack. What if we actually draw inspiration directly from the streets and tell right. those stories and dramatize them in a way that, that never, people, no one had really seen before. Right. That's, ex- that's exactly it. Yeah. Because that became a thing that definitely became a thing. It was like, if, if there's a black actor in the film, we're going to put a, put hip hop songs on the soundtrack, you know, right. that, and, and there were there, I remember soundtracks coming out that there, it was, full of rap songs that weren't even in the movie and it would be like inspired by such and such but spike had the vision and and foresight to say no i'm gonna make this a plot point and i need an anthem that because the i i forget how many times it's played in the film but oh my it's the the song shows up a lot in the movie and mm-hmm. but it, it but it doesn't lose any of its power anytime no pun intended, pun intended yeah i was going to say yeah it doesn't lose any of it at any time it's played it's still as bombastic and as confrontational as the first time it's heard in, in the film so yeah it's it's uh thank 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 you spike lee for <laughs> for knowing how to to use the to use the song and and really put a spotlight on it yeah absolutely yeah so i thought that was that's one thing that i really noticed this time also the this the cast in this movie is the cast is amazing, outrageous 
Outrageous. It's crazy. Not only, not only uh, this is only his third movie, Spike Lee's. Right. This movie, 1989. This is like right after it was She's Gotta Have It and School Days. And right. he's in the lead, which is something that, that you sort of, he like doesn't really, he doesn't really do much of later on in his career, but you also have right. Martin Lawrence and Rosie Perez in their film debuts and Sam Jackson and, yep. uh, and Bill Nunn and Ozzie Davis and Ruby D. Like, is there, speak to the ensemble cast of this movie and is there a particular character whose story or perspective or who, who really stands out to you? Who's, who's the MVP of this wildly sprawling cast? Man, I, I, I don't know if I could name one because everybody just turns up and just puts in the work. They're, they're all amazing. It, even down to John Savage shows up for a scene. And it's like, I'm like, wow, John Savage is in this film? It, it, even though his name's in the opening credits, he gets right. the and. But John Savage shows up. Frank Vincent shows up for a scene. John Turturro, Richard Edson. Just Danny Aiello, Oscar nominated yeah, of, for of this. Yeah. Yes, right. Danny Aiello and his son, uh, yeah, Rick. His son. Was, you know, and they're both gone now. A lot of the people are, have passed on that were in this were in the film. Robin Harris was in it. Mm -hmm. Paul Benjamin and Frankie Faison. Jeez. But I always, I, I thought Spike was great in it. And I, I wouldn't even call him the lead so much as he's one of the mains, but he definitely he definitely holds his own right. um in in the ca in a cast a really stacked cast and man it, oh Giancarlo Esposito is bugging out come on yep Giancarlo only i've been i've been like i have been a fan of his since this this made me a fan of his and thankfully breaking bad really introduced him to the rest of the world it took him a while but just a fantastic character actor that finally got his due so yeah, man. I, I don't know if there's one because every everybody has everybody has a scene, at least one scene where they get to 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 show their all and they all play well off each other. And and the interesting thing about this is it's one of the I always thought it was one of the most realistic portrayals of just a, a a neighborhood of people in that nobody's really the villain. Mm -hmm. Spike gives everybody a moment to where you can see their humanity, and yeah. I, I, arguably the cops are the closest thing yeah. to a villain. Uh yeah, definitely. Yeah. I don't. I don't know how arguable that arguable that is by the end yeah. of the movie. Yeah, I think well, throughout, yeah, the like, end, yeah, they really are. Yeah, at the end, that's where it lands. But even I, I'd say prior to the third act and the climax, I, yeah. maybe John Turturro is Pino because he's the yeah. most like vehement yeah. and like we got to get out of here. I don't like being around. But even he has that scene with Spike where yeah. they talk about his heroes, and he has and his he's coming off as this racist. He's coming off as this racist prick the whole film, and then he's talking about Prince and Eddie Murphy and how <laughs> how, how they're different. That that age old white argument. Oh yeah, but they're different. You know, it's that, different. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they're black. They're, they're black, but they're not. Not that they're not yeah. black. It's like yeah, that yeah, they're black, well, but they're not black. Yeah, okay. What sure. what I what I what another thing that really struck me too watching it is that 
it, it adds that level of, of nuance to the race relations, to that conversation yes. where there's, yeah. there's, there's black characters, there's white characters, Asian characters, Latin characters, all of whom are somewhere between that's just the way things are or no, we got to change like more militant, like bugging out obviously is. Right. And, 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 and every variation in the middle of that. And I, and I right. think that was, I, it's, Seems to me probably one of the first times that that uh, spectrum had been captured on film before. And it, and it also, to me, highlights how influential this film was, because it made me think of another movie that that's obviously about race, Dear White People, which is only a few years old, right. which is a much lighter generally in tone. That's more much more of a comedy, but it also has black characters, white characters who are black characters who are trying to ingratiate themselves in, in the in with the with the other white students and other characters who are speaking out against, against the, 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 I guess, setup of the, the race, the different races in that university. And it's right. like, and in this film captures a little bit of that, just like everyone is represented in one form or another. You have people, yes. someone who's like Ozzie Davis, which is who has the, the title line of the film. That's right. like, I one of, first of all, do you, what do you, what is in your opinion what is this movie about it's about this neighborhood in Bed-Stuy again where Spike Lee's character Mookie is the protagonist only in that it, it he gets maybe more amount of screen time he's the central vein throughout it but I feel like in a way that's more of an avatar of Spike having also lived in Brooklyn just yes. being him putting himself as the center observing all this stuff happening around him so I feel like it serves in that way but yes. in your in your opinion, what is this movie about? Like, not the plot. What is the story? The message of this movie? Is it that title? And and if so, what exactly you know? What exactly does that mean to you? It's a, that's that's the key moment. And it's funny. My friend, my friend Joe and I always quote that back and forth to each other. <laughs> we'll, we'll just uh, we we quote movies endlessly to each other. But that's one of our right. go to quotes: is Doctor, always do the right thing. That's it. I got it. I'm gone. So, but that's it. That's the, that's the film right there. That key moment, it all hinges on that. It's always do the right thing. And, and, and whether or not the characters do the right thing, that is the question. And it, and it's a matter of, can you always do the right thing? And then what is the right thing? Right. In, in a particular situation. So Spike has talked about, Dude, is it a is it a spoiler if I talk about the no ending? no we're, we're, okay. it's the night's movies from nineteen eighty nine we're way past right spoilers. exactly right exactly I, I I know I know a lot of people haven't seen it so yeah but. we'll get there at the end you're I'll ask you for your like your your pitch to why right. people who haven't seen it should check it out but yeah right okay so so when he throws I'll just say when he throws the garbage can at the end mm-hmm. yes it it doesn't it doesn't judge him it and and I think that's what there were uh, sometimes people find this film uncomfortable because there's no clear cut answer. Spike's not giving you the answer because there is no clear cut answer. And Mm -hmm. he's just, he's just trying to start the conversation. I think that's what the film is about. The film is about starting the conversation and saying what is important and what's not important. What are, where are we placing importance? And, and what's interesting about that is that he said that, a lot of people's response to him throwing the garbage can and the destruction of the pizzeria are people were like, oh, he shouldn't have done that. And, and they were more outraged about that than about 
Radio Raheem getting right. choked out. And 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 so that's interesting. That's an interesting it's it's interesting that the film can pull that reaction out of people and it gives you a little insight into where their headspace is. Yeah, it's also violence begets violence, yes. whether it's righteous or not. And you have the pictures of uh, Malcolm X and Martin Luther King smileys threaded throughout the movie yes. with those yeah. photos where he finally pins them on the wall at the end. And then it ends with the two with quotes from each of them, right. pacifism or a much more direct, more assertive approach. And yes. I think you're right. I think the movie, it does, it doesn't take a stand whether the destroying the pizzeria was the right move or not. It's, it's, right. it's a move you can understand regardless on which side you're, you, you sit on. Like yes. whether you're like, yeah, burn it to the ground or whether you're like, I don't necessarily agree with that, but in the emotion of what was going on, it's, uh, it's justifiable. It, and I think, it's just, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. It, it makes yeah, sense exactly. in the moment because that was, it was the pizzeria at that point in time was symbolic of why Radio Rahim died. It mm. was, it, it, and it was the by that point in time, the cops are gone. It's over. And how do you focus all that pent up rage and emotion? And yeah, I, whether it's right or wrong, it's it, it happens. And that's those are the things that happens. It's it's a direct consequence of 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 the murder that they, they just witnessed moments before. Right. Right. Exactly. And I think that if you listen to the dialogue, the conversations throughout, it really, it really pinpoints uh, going back to, I think it's Radio Rahim's concern of knuckle dusters, I guess the, oh, the yeah. love and hate. It's, oh, the, it, uh, they are, the, uh, what yeah. are those? The brass knuckles? What are those? No, they, they, they have an actual name. I, I can't remember. They were big in the, big in the late eighties. Um, yeah, for sure. They're called truck jewelry. They okay. call them. Yes, yeah. And, 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 and Spike talks about, it's funny. I hadn't seen the film in a while. And when I watched, when I rewatched it to get ready for this, I watched it with the, I watched the criterion Blu-ray with the commentary track. Cause I mm-hmm. never heard it before. And so Spike talks about how he, he like, directly borrowed that from uh night of the hunter the love and hate that's tattooed right. on on the fists of the of robert mitchum in that film yeah yeah that's yeah, true so yeah I, so it's there both of both are present throughout and i think yes. it's the 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 film gently and sometimes not so gently ping pongs back and forth between inc- incidents of love and incidents of hate you have that scene with with mookie and tina where, yes. where there's no no rawness happening, but <laughs> with like right. the ice cubes and it's a very yeah. loving, very gentle sequence where you almost wonder, well, what does it have what's stuff to do with anything? It's like, well, it's demonstrating the coexistence of love and yep. hate in this neighborhood. And then you have the, the heat wave building everything literal to a literal boiling point, which is another thing like watching this now, it's... It's also one of my favorite movies of this year was In the Heights, which again also takes place in a New York neighborhood, very, very focused on the community. Also right. deals with the, the hottest day in summer. There's I haven't pre- seen it yet. I haven't seen a, it yet. There's a, pre- there's a, there's a, there's like a snow cone guy in that, the Piragua guy. Yeah. In, in, in that, which shows up in this movie too. It's like, Jesus, wow. <laughs> Lin-Manuel Miranda was really inspired by this movie. Oh, I bet. Like, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. So it, it 
that movie obviously is a musical, so it tackles heavy themes, but in a much lighter way. Is there, what is it about this Spike's filmmaking here that really inspired you or energized you that way? In addition to the storytelling, just like any of his his uh, filming techniques or, or, or pacing or editing, like what, what more technically yeah. really drove you into that? It is, it is all on display in, in this film. He, I don't think, I, or I personally think that he has never had a better collaborator than Ernest Dickerson as his cinematographer. I think he and Ernest did his first one, two, three, four, five, six films. And then Ernest went on to direct, which Ernest, Ernest is a, is a decent director. And he found a lot of found his groove with The Walking Dead years later. But I always thought Ernest was one of the great cinematographers. And he and Spike just the, the, the what they do, their fearlessness with the camera and and forethought with the colors the red wall that the three old guys sit in front of and just the, the warm tones and just, there's no, I don't think there's any real cool light that happens in the film until nighttime. And there's a scene where Ozzie Davis comes in and talks to Ruby D the mayor talks to mother sister and mm-hmm. it's night. And one of the street lights comes up on above his head and that's when you think things are going to finally start to cool off because because they've been they've had this back and forth relationship all day. He's trying to impress her and she wants nothing of it. And then finally, at that point, she gives in a little and just a little bit enough that he feels feels better about their relationship. You <laughs> see some genuine joy on his face. And, and so you think, okay, things are finally going to start to cool down. The, so visually, the fact that they're able to magnify and make you feel that, oh, man, it is really hot on the, on the street that day, in the neighborhood, anywhere anybody goes. The shot where Jade is, it, it, or uh, Mookie comes home to shower <laughs> while he's working, right. and, and Jade is, fan, she's got the fan running. And and it goes. The camera starts on her, and then dot, and then booms down to the fans. You see directly into the fan, the Dutch tilts, the color, just the and the camera's moving, moves all the time. They they had it. They had the dolly shots. They had the crane shots, and 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 the energy and the editing is fantastic. It it the 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 film moves. I really think it's it, Spike is an interesting filmmaker because even to this day, he still takes chances. And some of his films, although I like them, I'm just like, ah, Spike, you could have cut 10 minutes there. Do the right thing is perfect to me. Like nothing feels out of place. And it, and it, it, it moves how it's supposed to move. And it builds the to to the ending. And, and it just it all works. It all clicks into place. And and for me, I remember I, the the night that I that I rented it, I watched it twice. And I had never done that before. <laughs> like as soon as it was <laughs> over, I rewound the tape, and I'm like, I'm gonna watch this again. I have to watch this again. And it was just mind blowing to me just to see all the things he was he was doing. It's 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 an intimate film, but. He just throws, he he throws everything at it, visually, 
and editing wise and it all works and 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 that was that was really that's that's what made such a big impression on me the first time i saw it and even when i watched it recently it's still just it's still that good you know yeah it it starts like a a slice of life comedy drama and i think that's the magic trick that it pulls off is that it it feels like you're just spending the day in this neighborhood until it gets to the big climax and then it's the by getting to know these characters before this tragedy happens you 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 feel it more you feel the impact it's more personal yes. to you the viewer than if it started with that for instance or or yes. or anything like that or if it didn't have those lighter moments if it didn't feel like almost like a documentary like that's the thing i think with some of the filmmaking too is that it feels like almost like spike just went and walked around and interviewed people you know you have them looking directly into the lens yeah a lot of times it, it feels like a documentary yeah. Even though it's not. And it's by getting that close to this community, it's like the more specific the characters and their stories are, the more the more universal the the message or the emotional weight of where the story ultimately goes, I think yes. uh the, the the harder it hits. Yeah, I totally agree with that. It it because it, you have those there's 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 stuff in this film that's funny. It's 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 there are laugh out loud moments. There's joy. There's a lot of joy and there's a lot of life in this film. And mm-hmm. so all for the majority of the runtime. And I think that's what makes those moments like the the scene between Mookie and Tina with the ice cube. It's give, it's giving you the insight into these are what these people do. It's these are these are real people. And even when even when the film gets stylized, it still feels realistic. And, and that's the beauty of it. That's the beauty of the film itself, that it's able to do that. And that way, when it gets to the end, it is such a punch to the gut that it's just like, oh, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I, I finally got to see it in the theater for its 30th anniversary. Wow, nice. And they, they had it here in Pittsburgh at the science center and they've got a big IMAX screen there. And oh, it was the presentation was amazing. And it, on the, the biggest screen in the city. And and it still floored me. I knew what was going to happen. And it gets to the end and you're like, no, come on, don't do that. You know, and you're like, oh God, this is awful. And mm-hmm. and and I know it's a film and I know they're actors and I've seen them in other things, but it, you get wrapped up in it. It's so easy to get wrapped up in this film and emotionally connect to the characters. Uh, so that when it gets to the end, it's it's just shattering. Well, the confrontation with Bugging Out and Radio Raheem and Sal in the pizzeria, it's like yeah. it feel it feels like you you're on a, a roller coaster and it's like click 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 yep. going up that that hill that you like I, I was fam- I was familiar with the movie, obviously. Did, I don't think and I probably at some point knew how it ended, but I forgot. So I but I knew something right. bad was going to happen. Gonna happen so right. I was very nervous because I didn't know who was going to do what. And I think Spike sprinkles in little bits of little red herrings throughout early in the yeah. movie. Like one of the first scenes, Danielle is like, I swear to God, I'm going to kill somebody today. Right. And things like that where you're you're not sure who who is going to uh, right. who, who the violence is going to come from. And I right. and I think. What do you think that, first of all, and then I'll say what I think. What do you sure. think the movie is saying that after you have all these, the residents of the community 
go at each other's throats. They, they are like poking fun at, at the, the Korean shopkeeper across the way. DeMayer has that confrontation with the, with those like young kids kind of questioning him, like, go get a job. Why would you do that? Yeah, blah, right, blah. right. Like all of that, everybody in the neighborhood is at each other. And at the end, as we were saying, <clears throat> as we were saying earlier, the real villain ends up being the cops. What do you think the movie is saying with that? And like, what do you, what do you think Spike's takeaway is for audiences after that, that happens? And then the neighbor has to go back to some sense of normalcy afterwards. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the, I, I always saw it as, and that's why the the mayor's quote is so important. Always do the right thing. It's because everybody has the capacity for violence. Everybody has the capacity to harm one another and it can come from confrontation and confrontation can explode into something awful as it does. And you, and you, and you wonder too, it's funny. What's what really struck me the last time I watched it was the, the, the violence happens or, or, or it starts just after Sal does something really nice. They're mm-hmm. closed and everybody wants to be closed. And, and the three kids that Martin Lawrence and Steve White and Krista Rivers shows up and they, and they want, they're closed and they want a piece of pizza. And he's like, ah, come on, let him in. Let him in. Yeah. He's going he's gonna to feed him. Everybody else wants to go home. They're like, come on, Sal, we're closed. And he's like, nah, let him in. And he's going to cook for them even though he doesn't have to because the store is already closed and he lets him in and he's getting ready to cook again. And he's got that, he's got that great speech earlier about this neighborhood grew up on my food and and how important that is to him and and why he doesn't feel like he doesn't feel like an outsider. He goes, I fed these kids and, and they've grown up. I've seen them grown up and this is important to me. And that's, that's what, that's Sal. That's who Sal is and, and what's important to him. And he lets them in. And then right as he's getting ready to make them food, that's when Bugging Out and Radio Rahim shows up and all hell breaks loose. And and, and it's just, I think he's saying that, it, that anybody has the, has the capacity to start some shit. And it, are, are you going to be the person that does the right thing? Can you, can you be the person that does the right thing and and not escalate things or not or not start that or Mm -hmm. or figure out a way to de-escalate it and and calm things down i think i don't i'm I'm, yeah no 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 that's a good take i was my thought was the fact that it's the police that actually kill someone during the, the climax of the film is that it felt to me like a like it was highlighting the fact that they are all part of whether they're white, black, Latin, you know, Asian, et cetera, et cetera, man, woman, doesn't matter. They're all part of a society that is underlined by systemic racism, which is now a term that's yes. very popular, very right. much in the zeitgeist now, not as right. mainstream in 1989. So, which is all. why right, right, right. this movie feels both of its time and wildly, unfortunately, ahead of its time. Yeah. But it's they are all part of this system that is face racism is built into the foundation and it's it it is within all of them and to the point that 
Sal, as you were saying, I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to bring up that scene as well, where Sal is like, oh, I don't, these, these are my kids. Like I feed them and I've been here forever, et cetera. Yeah. But then he busts out the N word yeah. in the climax of the movie because yeah. even Sal, who it might be on some subconscious, like lower level back of his brain type deal, everyone is has that, everyone's raised within a system of systemic racism. Like it's, yes. it exists. So yes. whether you, you, again, it's the old cliche, like, oh, I have black friends. I'm like, well, yeah, okay, what does that mean? <laughs> um, right. Like, I live in a black neighborhood. I'm like, yeah, but when it comes down to it, are you, do you on some level feel that way? Right. And I think the fact that everyone has, with the the heat wave turning everything literally up, yes. up, up to like a boiling point, it's that they're all capable of that, of that hate. And it's, yes. what do you do in that moment? Will you snap or will you do the right thing? And it's, and it's really, they're all players in this game of systemic racism that puts people, pits people against each other and then all this other stuff. It's, I, I felt like that was a major theme that he was, he was highlighting to me. And then when he ends it with the two quotes, it's like, maybe there's a middle ground between these two. Right. The fact that Sal gets upset with Radio Raheem and like snaps, smashes the radio, which is playing Fight the Power, which is basically like Radio Raheem confronting Sal with the possibility that he's part or complicit in that system. Right. I think that was yeah. all very, yeah, that was all seemed really like symbolic and uh, prescient to me. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. It's amazing. And it's, it's so terribly unfortunate that this, the, this film still resonates like it does 30 right. some years later. It's, it's almost insane. Um, because, yeah, and to, to your point, uh, it, I don't think we, I don't think we referred to it as systemic racism back then. I don't think it was called that per se or referred to in those terms, but police, police violence against African-American against black people, especially was not very widely reported back then, but it happened a lot. And, and and you would hear little things or it would get brushed away, brushed under the rug. And, and, and only on occasion, Rodney King, case in point, where it was somebody just happened to catch it on tape and it blew up across the nation. But that, that stuff hap- has been happening for so, so long. And I think... So being aware of all of these things and these yeah. incidents, of course, that his his film reflecting life, there's a there's a very good reason as to why the cops show up and that's what happens. Because that's that's what was happening. Yeah. And you can easily swap out those names at the end of the movie and put George Floyd and yes. and yeah. some of the other more recent cases uh, in there. And it feels yeah. like it, it feels like it could have been made yesterday. Yeah. Which, ah, that sucks, man. It does. <laughs> it's really sad. It, it's, it doesn't say much for humanity, does it? For America, for this country. It's just, it's it's depressing and disappointing. But it's also, I, I don't want to say inspiring, but it, it it's, it, it's, it's sure, eye-opening. Yeah. Yes, it reminds me yeah. that we still have a lot of a ways to go, but we, we can do it. We, we have to, I, I've, I've realized that as a parent and, and what I tell my kids and my, my 10 year old asks a lot of very serious questions sure. and, I, and I try to, I try to be as straight 
forward with him as I can. And, and I tell him a lot of times, I'm like, look, man, this is my opinion. <laughs> I can't, I can't tell you, I can't tell you for sure because you're asking very complicated questions, but this is my, my opinion. And from what I've seen and what I have experienced and friends I have and the people I know, I am grateful. My kids have, they have black cousins that they see very mm-hmm. often. They live right down the street. So, so it's not a thing to them. Yeah. They don't like my son, my, my Davy, my 10 year old, he just doesn't understand racism. He goes, I don't understand that. That doesn't make any sense. And I said, good. I, I'm glad. I'm glad it yeah. doesn't make any sense to you. That's, that's great. Just, but re- I said, but recognize that some people think like that mm-hmm. and you have to be careful and you have to try to either avoid it or, or try to talk them out of it. It, it, it. At his age, you never know what the parents are teaching their kids. And so his friend, he comes up with all kinds of stuff, but. Yeah, no. And it's even, even seemingly good people like Sal who are yes. raised to, to see, to see things differently, who are raised in a certain mindset. It's, yeah. you have to, you have to be self-aware that that is something that maybe you were taught the wrong way. Because, for example, uh, growing up in the in the nineties, you couldn't watch a, a comedy in the nineties. I've talked about it on podcasts several times already. You couldn't watch a comedy in the nineties and not have, for no reason, homophobic jokes or transphobic oh, jokes. Yeah. I've talked about Ace yeah. Ventura, Pet Detective, which is a movie I love. Right, wildly, wildly uh, inappropriate and poorly dated. It's, yeah. it's humorous, <laughs> but still yeah. like, yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. But you can watch that as a kid. Think it's funny because you don't know any better. And then later right. grow up and be like, wow, that was screwed up. Let's evolve. Yeah. Let's do work on ourselves. And I think yeah. that's, if anything, that's probably what the movie's challenging you to do is, yes. Hey, think about how you feel about people, what your inner monologue is when it comes to people of other G- uh, genders or races or religious, you know, affiliation, orientations, whatever it may be, and do a little soul searching and try and work that shit out because otherwise things can happen. And you, if we're going to move things in a positive trajectory, that's that's the, that's the progress we need to be making. Do you, yes. to that to that extent, do you feel like this movie is ultimately hopeful, or is it more? pessimistic it, it, it can go either way i think it really depends on what you bring to the table yeah it, it can i uh, i by by nature i'm an optimist so i see it as up as as a hopeful yeah. film I, I i i can see the reverse but i i do think that there's so much there's so much joy in the film and there's a, there's so much life in the film that even with the the atrocity that happens at the end because the film doesn't end there. Mm-hmm. Everybody wakes up the next day and Sal and Mookie have their final confrontation. And, and it ends with yeah, Mookie walking back across the street and seeing your love daddy played by Sam Jackson, the, the local radio DJ sending the next record out to radio Raheem. So I, I feel like there is a lot, there is a, there's a, a bit of hope, but whether it's life goes on regardless, but we can, we can, we can find a way we can find a way to, to work on ourselves mm-hmm. and to become better to ourselves and to each other and, and not let this shit happen anymore. 
Yeah, I was I was exactly I was thinking life goes on like that was the thing I was going yeah. I was going to mention on that cuz you could have easily seen the movie Smiley hanging the picture up and then roll credits and I think that you could that would have been another direction to go and it would have been a starker conclusion right. but it would have worked it would have it would have felt yes. complete and of it, a piece. It, yeah, it could have ended it could have ended there and still worked. Yes, you're right. The fact that Spike adds that extra scene, I think, is is exactly what it's meant to signify what you're saying. Like, I think it is, life goes on. Can we learn from our mistakes? Can yeah. we dot, 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 do the right thing? Question mark. Right. I, it remains to be seen. The, the fight goes on, you know, to yep. fight the power. Exactly. Fight the power, uh, right. <laughs> so before we start winding down here, is there is there anything about do the right thing? I know this is obviously the movie. As you said, there's a Criterion Collection Blu-ray out, which now that I've I have a rule for myself the last like decade or few years that I'm like I I don't let myself buy physical media copies of movies that I haven't seen just because uh, I yeah. I had a bunch that I have still haven't <laughs> seen. And I'm like I need to like only add things that I've seen I like and yes. I want to keep. So now that I've seen this, this will probably be one I'll, I'll have to add to my collection. This is a movie we could talk about for a long time if we really yeah. drilled down into detail. But is there anything specific you wanted to to shout out before we, we start wrapping up? It's just, it's just, it's always been, it's still to this day, it's always been one of my favorite films. I consider, I really consider it as close to a perfect film as, mm -hmm. yeah. as there is. This Do the Right Thing and Goodfellas, those are like my two like benchmark movies of like, you know, it doesn't, doesn't get much better than that. And it's just, it's an experience. And, and I, I know it has, at at this point now, it has a reputation. Its reputation has definitely evolved over the years. I I, I remember when it came out, white people were afraid there were going to be riots at the theaters. That that's the that was the that was the climate that the film came out in. Luckily, Universal stood behind Spike and and refused to bow to any fears, crazy fears like that. And and I don't I don't if I recall correctly, there weren't any incidents of violence when the film played, but it's just such a, it's, it's such an amazing film. And, and even though, yes, it builds to a, a horrible incident, a murder of a black man at the hands of the police. It's the film's not about that. There's a, mm -hmm. there's so much life and humor and joy and, and anger and disruption there's there's a lot of stuff in the film that i'm hoping people who haven't seen it will still give it a chance because even 30 some years on it's it's now it's more appreciated as being a landmark of american cinema than it was when it first came out but still it has a reputation because oh violence and this and that the other thing but it's not about that and and i'm hoping the people who haven't seen it will will go out and watch it and really, really find the, the, the mastery that is, that is in it because it's such a well-made film. It's just, everybody was firing on all cylinders. The cast is stacked. The script is great. The dialogue is, is fantastic. And it's, it's shot immaculately. It's cut perfectly. 
I just, I love it so much. I can't talk enough about it, but. Well, even this many years later, I think it's widely considered Spike's masterpiece. Yeah. Uh, I, I, and, I and at the time it's, it got like Roger uh, Ebert and Gene Siskel both loved it. They gave, I think they said it was their best of the year, but there was, it was more divisive among critics at the time. But this yeah. is, again, was a year in which Do the Right Thing wasn't nominated for best picture, which went to Driving Miss Daisy, which goes to show you uh. where. Hollywood yeah. was in race relations <laughs> on yeah. screen at that time. Oh, um, and it took him like 30 years to finally get his uh, screenplay now, uh, win for Black yeah. Klansman, which yeah. is another really strong movie that I, that I, I actually do own that one because that I did see in theaters. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Black Klansman so it, was, Black Klansman's good. My, my it, Do the Right Thing, I think, is my favorite. And... Malcolm X is a very close second in Spike's mm-hmm. filmography. That's do the right thing is his masterpiece, but Malcolm X is his epic, his opus. Right. And, and it was the last film that he and Ernest Dickerson did. And man, again, it's just so well done, but, but yeah, Tim driving Miss Daisy. <laughs> yeah. I remember that. Wow. Yep, exactly. The, yeah, the green book of the late eighties, I guess you could call uh, yeah, it. A lot, yeah. a lot of people uh, compare those two. So I was going to tell, ask you to, to sell listeners on why they should watch this movie, but I, you did that. Is there, if people have seen this, are there any other similar movies, either thematically, you already mentioned which movies from Spike you would, we would recommend any, any other titles you would throw out there. If people were saw do the right thing and they're hungry for more of this filmmaking. Oh, wow. That's a, that's a, that's a great question. Spike's got, Spice got a lot of just interesting films that he's made. Some some wildly just crazy experiments and and low budget things, and then he's done big budget things. He's done. He even did the slick Hollywood thriller with Inside Man, which I mm-hmm. thought was a great movie. Yeah, and and actually, I my my like he he was on a hell of a run there because he did do the right thing, and he followed that up with Mo Better Blues. Which I thought is, which I think is great. It's a love letter to jazz, and then Jungle Fever, which is pretty pretty damn good. I haven't seen it in a long time. I need to revisit it, but I always thought it was really good. And then he capped it off with Malcolm X, and then he did some more smaller personal stories, Crooklyn, and he did Clockers, which was another one of the hood films. But <laughs> Spike's entry into the to the hood film, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Man, you kind of caught me off guard with the question. That's a, <laughs> that's a great question. Those dope slice of life movies, you know? Yeah, I'd have to get back to you on that one. Him. Anything um, from Spike, it sounds like, generally. Yeah, Spike. People, Spike, yeah. Spike and Spike's got some 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 movies that 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 succeed amazingly and <laughs> fail spectacularly. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, but he I, takes those I, chances. That's 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 what we that's, love about him. Yeah, that's the beauty of it, man. It's like to this day, it's like he's gonna make a Spike Lee joint, and whether you love it or not, he's he's gonna do it. And I, I've seen most of his films. There's still a few I've got to catch up on, and uh, I haven't seen the one he did for Netflix yet. The the Five Bloods. The five Bloods. Yeah, I heard yeah, really good so things about that. that's another one. Everybody was like, Delroy Lindo's got to get that nomination. Didn't get the oh, nomination. Man. Delroy is it like he was in? I I remember first seeing him in Malcolm X, and I was like, Who is this guy? This guy is amazing. And yeah, yeah just one of those unsung character actors that just never got enough props over the years. Man, he is great. He is a fantastic actor. Yeah, so, absolutely. But yeah, yeah. so. That was that was 
do the right thing. Definitely check it out if you haven't seen it. I don't think it's streaming anywhere. I I, I actually got the DVD, the Criterion DVD from my local library. That's how I've been oh, catching okay. a lot of these movies that aren't anywhere streaming. But I think it's now that I've seen it, I, I would endorse this as a blind buy for people that are interested in this film and haven't seen it. Like it's throw the, I think the the as of this recording, the the Criterion sale just ended like a couple yeah. of days ago. Yeah, it, but it keep an eye out. They have them like every few months, it feels like every six months or something. There's something. Happening. Yeah, yeah. I think there's another one. There's usually another one at Barnes and Nobles coming up in November. And, yeah. and if you sub, if you're on the Criterion subscribe to their newsletter, their email list, they they ha- they have the occasional 50% off uh, flash sale to where you can order direct from them. They do it every once in a while. So those are always <laughs> fun, not fun for my wallet, fun. But, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know. all, us, all us cinephiles are just like, well, there goes my paycheck. Oh, man. <laughs> okay, all this blue yeah, in, in the mail. I, the last couple, I was like, I, I took it easy. But this last one, they had just put out so many great titles. And mm-hmm. I just, I bought more than I probably should have. <laughs> I, I didn't even buy that many, but... but Any, Anything out. you were particularly jazzed to receive to add to your collection? Oh, yeah. I got Bill Duke's Deep Cover. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, man. That was like, when they announced that, I about shit my pants because i was just like wow really <laughs> because that was that is such a dope movie and another larry fishburne Lor- sorry lawrence fishburne and 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 jeff goldblum and this undercover cop crime cd trying to fight the drug war movie from the from the mid early mid 90s or whatever and i was like wow criterion's putting that out and because i think the last time it was on any media was a really bad new line blu-ray mm-hmm. and so yeah i got i grabbed that i grabbed tarkovsky's the mirror i was excited about that and what else did i get memories of murder that's good stuff nice um yeah and i got something else too oh cronenberg's crash which i haven't i i saw like when it came out on video back in the 90s and i haven't seen it since so i really want to revisit that yeah, so, I've never uh, seen that. I need to check that out. Yeah, it's I, it's it pops up a lot whenever people do their purchases. It's yeah, <laughs> it's it's something. It's yeah. It's, oh, I, uh, I'm familiar with the premise. I just right. actually, well, when that came out, 19 like 96, right? Yeah, it was 96 or 97. I think. Yeah, I would have been 13, so not really appropriate or accessible. Yeah, right, right, right. In right. the mid 90s, but yes. Yeah, I was in my 20s and I wanted to see it at the theater, but like there was it was so you know, hard to find a theater that was playing it. So I had to wait till it came out on video and I, and I rented it and I was just like, wow. Okay. I don't think I was quite ready for it, even though I was a fan of naked lunch and I should have been ready for it, but it was just like, wow. Okay. And, and I just never, and I never got the chance to go back and revisit it. What was, what's strange and bizarre. I just told this story the other day to somebody the the night that I watched crash was the night that princess Diana died. Oh my gosh. Yeah. In a car crash. Yeah. Really weird. Right. That is weird. Bizarre. Yeah. So like, so it's like in my mind linked to that just because, just because that's, I had put it on. Okay. I'm going to finally, I'm going to sit down and watch this tonight. And then that, that happened. It was like, wow, that's very weird. So yeah, but two um, two very different kinds of crashes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, So yeah. But, but yeah, David, this was a blast. It was 
was Thanks, so fun man. To, I enjoyed to talk it. to yeah. you. Thanks. I, I know uh, last time we we had this scheduled, I, I we had to reschedule it because I we were having a storm here and it was a, like a crazy week. Oh for me, yeah, so you I were like right your, in the middle of it, right? Your yeah. patience and un- understanding with that. But this was this nah, was a really fun conversation. I'd love to have you back. Can you tell people where they can find you on social media? Yeah, so I'm on Instagram under my name. It's just all straight through David C. Snyder, S-N-Y-D-E-R. I don't, that's my filmmaking page. I, I try to update it, but then I'm more often on, it's the Davy J show, E-A-V-Y-J, which is, which is my oldest son. And so it's really, that's, that's where I'm mostly at. It's my kids holding up my, my album collection of uh, rap records and things. So, and, and we throw movies in there too sometimes, but usually on the other page, but yeah, you can um, find me on Instagram. That's mostly where I'm at. I'm not really anywhere else. Twitter a little <laughs> bit, but but yeah, and and that's about it. Yeah, that's about it. There's hwicfilm.com for the movie stuff. If anybody's interested in checking our stuff out, but it's our our films are playing on. They're on Amazon, but they're also for free on Tubi TV, where you can watch them all for free. That just has ads, but Tubi's been very very good to us. So I like to refer people there to Tubi TV. Yeah, I feel like Tubi is actually pretty underrated as a as streaming service. Like, I think generally yeah, there's a lot of stuff there you can't like if, if if you're looking for something and it's not on Netflix or Prime, chances are Tubi has it. And Tubi has it, man. It's yeah. it's amazing the stuff that and they've really since we first started putting stuff up there, they've really upped the ante. They've got they've had some really big movies uh, available yeah. on there, and they do they do a great job of getting kind of yeah the stuff that you can't see other places some of the more obscure things too so yeah, yeah definitely yeah Tubi's cool so well thanks thanks again david for doing this and we'll we'll be in touch and yeah uh, yeah i'd we'll love to do it again back sometime. on here yeah that would be cool awesome thanks thanks david. man big thanks to david snyder for coming on to discuss spike lee's 1989 classic do the right thing if you enjoyed this show, please give us a rating and or review on Apple Podcasts. Let's follow us on Spotify, all that good stuff. And I want to know, what was your first experience watching Do the Right Thing? Did this movie click with you immediately? Did you see it when it came out? Or is this one that you caught up with maybe in a film class or on your own independent study? Like we all, like I like to say, we're all students of pop culture. I consider myself included in that. And so you're always learning from something from any movie that you check out. So definitely let me know what you thought of Do the Right Thing upon first watch. You can find me on Twitter at Crooked Table, the same handle on Instagram, and via email at robert at crookedtable.com. For now, that's a wrap on another Crooked Table production. Stay crooked, everyone. This has been a production of crookedtable.com. All rights reserved. That's the yard of a little KED.